these are the things that like really strike me. These are the things that I'm still thinking about a week later. And I really pay attention to those things in a very intentional way. And I think that even in marketing and in podcasting, if you're trying to tell a great story, I would say like a lot of people don't stop and do that. Don't stop and think like, okay, what do I, what do I actually want someone to walk away from this with? You know, what's comp- what, why are they going to like it? And I mean, like actually write that down in bullet points, you know, so you can say like, I want them to like this and that aspect of the romance. I want them to like this and that particular aspect of my female main character. And like, just really make sure that you're very clear on that yourself because no one else is going to be clear on it if you're not. Armed with noise-canceling headphones and many ounces of coffee, Carissa Broadbent invests more time at local coffee shops than I do. Every day I was at the Pink Bean in Somerset, so was Carissa, punching away at her laptop's keyboards. A tall coffee and a tall stack of papers, I thought she was a screenwriter. I wasn't too far off, though. When Carissa told me she was an author, I was really intrigued to have her on the show. But a self-published author in the fantasy genre, right here on the South Coast... I had to figure out how she runs her business in our little corner of the world. You can find her work and buy her books at carissabroadbentbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it on social media, wherever you do social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, wherever helps us get more listeners. Okay, here's my interview with Carissa. I wrote a lot when I was very young. Like I wrote my first quote unquote novel when I was like 12 or 13, I would publish it on like these, these websites that I was a part of. And then I stopped. And then when I was like 23, I just decided to do it again. And I honestly cannot, I honestly don't know why I did. I don't remember. I think I was kind of going through like a bit of a quarter life crisis where like I had, you know, I was like in the working world, I was working in marketing And I was kind of like, oh, this is it just forever for the rest of my life. I'd like to maybe do something different. So I decided I wanted to write a book and I wrote a very bad book. And then I wrote two more very bad books. Um, And then I just kept writing books and they kept getting less bad. And here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to hold that thought for a second because I do want to explore failure and what failure kind of like really means to a, a creative. But was writing the only sort of creative outlet or did you do something else to maybe satisfy that, that early, early day creativity? Oh, I was always very, I mean, I majored in graphic design. I ended up, um, working in technical marketing and cybersecurity. So not really using my graphic design skills really. Um, but yeah, I was also very into visual arts, which unfortunately I've kind of abandoned a little bit in the last few years. So do you, do you no longer have the, the day job as the marketer? I no longer do. I'm about six months out. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe congratulations. We'll we'll figure that out as we <laughs> talk about running the business uh, of being an author. Let's talk about writing a bad book. Listen, I've been, I was caught, I, I, I can't even, it's embarrassing. Like I have uh, anxiety talking to you right now, just thinking back to my days in school of how terrible a student I was, uh, especially <laughs> with English, especially with writing. Um, but I picked up blogging, you know, when I started my digital agency, you know, nearly 20 years ago, and I just started writing and it was God awful. And and it probably still is today. But I, I I'm, a, I'm much better, obviously, than I was, you know, nearly two decades ago. And I just kept what you know, what we call in the space, and you've probably heard this before, I just kept shipping, just kept shipping the blogs, I just kept hitting publish writing, 
publish, write, and rinse, repeat. Um, sounds pretty rudimentary, but it almost sounds like that's what you got to do to be in this space. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's like, um, uh, so I don't want to like jump too far into the deep end of the pool right away, but I'm, I'm, I publish independently and there is a very different attitude around this in indie publishing than there is in traditional publishing in which somebody would go and query a book and get an agent and then try to get published with one of the big five um, publishers and go through that whole process. Whereas indie publishers put a very high focus on iterating and optimizing. They, they, um, they have a very digital marketing-esque approach, you know, to publishing, right? So um, putting out kind of minimal viable products and shipping, continuing to ship and continuing to learn from like what you're putting out there is like how a lot of indie publishing authors um, are able to be so successful. So my bad books are no, are no longer available <laughs> and that's okay because <laughs> they were they were not like, they did not do well, you know, I didn't make money off of those books really. Um, but not only were they bad in terms of just like, you know, I didn't know how to write really that well yet. Um, but I also didn't know even more importantly from a business perspective, I didn't know who I was writing for and I didn't know how to tell a story that appealed to those people. So even if someone were to look at some paragraph and be like, yeah, that's like a well-constructed paragraph, what does that count for? You know, if nobody is going to be chomping at the book at the bit to read that book. And that was, I think, the most important thing that I learned during that process where I was just kind of learning how to tell not just a story, but a compelling story that a very specific kind of person would like to read. This is, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to preface it with saying it is, the answer could probably be three hours long. <laughs> so I don't expect <laughs> you to go super detailed, but in the marketing world, like to try to, and, and you, the good thing is, is you've had experience in, in both. Like you've had this sort of uh, typical business marketing experience and you have you as a self-published author creating original stories, characters and concepts. Um, in the marketing world, people like say, well, tell a great story. And th these are things I say to my own clients um, mm -hmm. that I work with at my at my day job at, at Castos uh, podcast hosting company. You know, they come to me and say, hey, my podcast isn't growing. It's sort of flatlined, plateaued. How do I get more, you know, listeners and stuff like that? And it's like, well, how good is your content? Are you, you know, are you, do you have a premise? Are you telling a great, is there a story arc? Is it a season? Like what's happening here with your content? It's not something that you're going to just flip a switch and suddenly people will show up. But it's very throwaway for me to say, tell a great story. <laughs> but I hear that thrown around a lot on Twitter and LinkedIn. <laughs> people just say, tell a great story. Right. Is there like a fundamental other like pillars something that people could look to as a north star to start that good story oof wow <laughs> <laughs> i told you it was going to be tough yeah if there's no question. answer there's no answer all right i'm going to try to solve fiction and marketing in one yeah. answer um so in terms of like a like a novel or even like a screenplay or a short story i mean there's like story structure right there's like I mean, a million different various story structures that are all kind of variations of a three-act structure, structure, right? That kind of help you shape like what a story should be to be compelling, right? Like what those beats kind of kind of tend to be. Um, to go a little like deeper than that, and this is the part that might be more applicable from a marketing perspective, also is 
so much of telling a good story uh, is about really understanding your audience very implicitly. And when I say this um, from a fiction perspective, I feel like a lot of people are very, uh, you know, they think I'm, I'm saying that I'm manufacturing my stories or something like that, which I'm absolutely not. I mean, I am, it's funny because a lot of my indie friends think that I'm like a little bit too artsy, but um, I am part of that audience. So I know, you know, when I read a book, these are the things that I remember. These are the things that like really strike me. These are the things that I'm still thinking about a week later. And I really pay attention to those things in a very intentional way. And I think that even in marketing and in podcasting, if you're trying to tell a great story, I would say like a lot of people don't stop and do that. Don't stop and think like, okay, what do I, what do I actually want someone to walk away from this with? You know, what's, comp- what, why are they going to like it? And I mean, like actually write that down in bullet points, you know, so you can say like, I want them to like this and that aspect of the romance. I want them to like this and that particular aspect of my female main character. And like, just really make sure that you're very clear on that yourself because no one else is going to be clear on it if you're not. There's a concept of, um, maybe you've heard this before, building in public, um, especially on on Twitter, I have a lot of, probably just like you, like indie product developers, people who are making small pieces of software or very small web applications that people can mm-hmm. sign up for. And there's this concept of building in public where, you know, the they haven't even started to write the code yet to build the software, but they start just, whatever, blogging about the idea, podcasting about the idea, just kind of iterating it, iterating on the idea out loud so that they can they can build an audience and sort of litmus test the, you know, is this going to really work? <laughs> like yeah. to, with, with the audience that I have, like, will people actually buy this or maybe kind of dig or mine for some features that they might build into it? Um, it sounds like that's something that a, a, an author would do. Like if you have whatever, a hundred people who follow you on Twitter, a thousand people who follow you on Instagram, why not? throw out some ideas to be like, here's, I'm thinking of this new idea for this main character. And maybe you don't even phrase it like that. Maybe, obviously, you probably get a little bit more creative, like, you know, sneak in this kind of concept of a new character who joins the realm or whatever. And suddenly people are like, yeah, it's really cool. And then now you can kind of develop on that a little bit more. It's probably a fair way to, to maybe look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely do that for sure. Um this this sort of strikes a chord with me in, in all kinds of markets. But before you mentioned, I'm an indie publisher. I didn't go the route of, you know, your traditional knock on the door of the big five. And immediately my blood boils, right? Why is there only <laughs> five, right? And we see this in every industry. Why is there just these top three tech companies? Why are these big five publishers... Um, you know, God, don't even get me started with like local distribution for, for like uh, wine, beer, and spirits. Is like two. <laughs> it's all. It's like this cartel almost. Mm-hmm. Why are there only five? And like, are there smaller indie uh, places one could turn to if they didn't want to go a hundred percent independent of getting some help? Yeah, totally. Actually, it's about to be the big four. I mean, oh, if there's geez. a yeah, there's a there's a I believe it's being challenged by like antitrust 
I would you imagine. Know, right. Yeah. I mean, as, as it should be rightfully not right. to get political, but um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. There are definitely smaller indie publishers. Um, so actually it can be confusing sometimes because like 10 years ago, if an author said that they were quote unquote indie or indie published, um, people would be thinking of like small publishers, like they're thinking right. of small presses. So there are definitely small presses um, and some that are doing really well. Um, but to get published with those, first of all, you have to be a little bit savvy, right? Because a lot of publishers who are kind of acting as if they are quote unquote small publishers or small presses are actually vanity presses that are um, basically a scam, right? Like, um, are they like a subsidiary subsidiary of the bigger four or just? No, there, there are publishers out there or, you know, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me right now, yeah. but publishers <laughs> out there that, <laughs> that will say, Hey, if you give me $4,000, I will like publish your book for you. And that's, uh. that's a vanity press. That's not, um, there are smaller publishers where you still have to query a book and get an agent. So that process alone takes like, I mean, people query hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of agents. It takes years. Mm. Um, and then when that agent gets the book, they need to put it on sub. So they're trying to sell it to editors who might be in the big four, big five, who might be in indie um, or smaller presses. And that process takes you know, years. And then they sell the book. And then the process of actually publishing the book takes years. So going this route means that you're... I mean, you're investing at like five to 10 years of your life into getting like a book published, one right. book. Um, the obvious advantage, uh, I'm trying, I was trying to quickly Google uh, this book. Uh, it was the film that Matt Damon was in. It was a, a sci-fi uh, movie, but it was based on a book. And I remember the- The Martian. The, the, the Martian, that's what it is. Andy Weir, yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. and, and I think the backstory of of Andy was he was, he just had a day job, right? And he was just writing this book. And he just, he, I'm air quotes too. He just wrote this book and uh, <laughs> shipped it off and, and whatever, sold it and turned it into a movie. I'm sure those are like the real Cinderella stories that are, that drive a lot of people to do this kind of thing. But you're like, yeah, that's literally one in a, one in a billion for that to actually happen. Um but it can happen, I guess, which is what drives a lot of us, question mark. Like this, there's a, there is a big opportunity out there if we want to pursue it. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I mean, Andy Ware is like, he, yes. I mean, Did he's Did I get a that backstory right? Was he just doing a day job and, and just writing that book on the side? I am not sure. I, I'm sure I, I think he was I heard in him the on beginning. A podcast. Yeah, yeah I, I'm sure he was. Um, and he... Uh, so sci-fi is not my genre, so I'm like not as much in that world. But Got it. yeah, I mean, he was one of the first to become like a household name um, as an independently published author. And there are now many of them. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Lawrence. Um, I'm not. Nope. Well, he writes like like grim, dark fantasy. Um, oh. And he was originally indie published and he's a big advocate for elevating uh, indie sci-fi fantasy. Um there are quite a few of them. And actually now it's getting easier for those books to get mainstream recognition because of TikTok. <laughs> like if you go into Barnes and Noble, now they have like a book talk table and like half of the books on there are indie books. And that was unheard of. I mean, right. 
up until very, very recently, like as little as a couple of years ago, if you had told me that there would be like widespread indie books in Barnes and Noble, I would have laughed right in your face. Um, and even then it's like, these are the people who are very, very successful, but there's a huge opportunity there. And it's not like, I can be wary sometimes because a lot of the the indie publishing gurus can feel a little bit, um, I'll use the term MLME for lack of a better word. Like there's definitely people who are trying to sell a dream. Um, so it's a business and you have to be skeptical and you have to advocate for your business and be smart about what you're doing. But like, I mean, I'm not a household name and I pay my mortgage this way. You know, it's, it's very viable. Yeah. That's awesome. The, uh, the obvious advantage, big publisher, agent, network, money, all of this stuff, but one, it takes years, maybe eternity. <laughs> uh, it takes mm -hmm. probably a great story, uh, uh, probably a, a good dash of luck. And then it's not all rainbows and sunshine because then I'd assume when you're in the, the wheel of uh, the big four, you probably start to lose the integrity of your story, right? Because people start poking holes in it. Like, no, 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 we know how to sell this. We know what the story should be. Um, and they start probably poking holes in the story and that can get frustrating. You go indie, you do it yourself. You have control over the you know integrity of your creativity and your story, your characters, all of that stuff. You just have to roll up your sleeves and do the work. Is there any mechanism, website that you turn to to help with the publishing that, that does make life a little bit easier? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, before I jump into that, though, I just want to clarify one thing for anyone who is thinking about this, right? Like a lot of people do assume that you make more money as a traditionally published author. Um, that is not the case. I mean, traditionally published authors are always very vocally complaining about not making mo enough money. <laughs> right. And then like right. advances are now broken up. The big drama in traditional publishing world right now is that publishers are starting to break up advances into five installments instead of four. So now authors are not even getting their advances for years after books are published. It's really it's a very tough world out there as well. In advance, just if people in advance, that's, hey, we're going to give you whatever, 10, 20, 100 grand to write this mm -hmm. book. Here it is. You go off and write it. You have a year maybe to write this book or maybe more. I don't know. Um, but that's what it advances. But now you're saying they're breaking that stuff up. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, to go back to the question you actually asked. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I put out a professional product and I'm in a position now where like, I kind of know what my ROI is. Right. So I invest pretty heavily in my books. Um, so I have, you know, cover designers and illustrators that I work with and, uh, multiple editors and proofreaders. Um, I do a lot of education and a lot of reading and conferences and stuff. So it's a lot of multiple plates that are kind of spinning versus like, going to a single provider and being like, sure, publish my book for me. Um, yeah. But I don't mind that personally. Yeah. And then, I mean, you have a fantastic website, but you know, you are lucky because you have experience. I, there's probably a lot of authors out there who have, and I know because I've worked with them in the past, they have terrible websites or no website <laughs> at all. So you're, you've got the pieces of the puzzle together, right? Because you have the marketing background, the 
digital art background and and obviously social media. So you're able to really bring all of those together as like one big superpower. And then of course you write a great book and, and everything comes together. Um, is there anything else that you're thinking is maybe the next step? And I, I want to talk about like what maybe books you have in the works coming up, but is there anything else that you think is a, maybe a new experience that as an independent author, you have more flexibility over, like you could start your own podcast and somebody's not, you're like, your agent's going to not going to take 50% of the, <laughs> of the advertising <laughs> revenues or whatever. Like, is there a new frontier for you on how somebody experiences your story other than uh, a Kindle or, or paper? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, So there is a lot of buzz going on right now in terms of like how a lot of indie authors reconsidering their relationship with their readers and other ways that they can expand that relationship. So um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brandon Sanderson, who is a really popular epic fantasy author. He recently had the most successful Kickstarter campaign ever in the history of Kickstarter. Um, so a lot of authors are looking to things like Kickstarter and Patreon as ways of kind of non-traditionally connecting with their readership and putting out products that that normally we would not be able to do through like, you know, an Amazon storefront. Um, so that's something I would definitely like to explore in the future, um, especially with like serialized novels and like extra stories. My readers are always asking for like very specific, like little fluffy stories with my characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, podcasting. Yeah. That's less of like, um, uh, I actually am starting a podcast soon with a couple of author friends of mine. So nice. that's timely. Um, and then of course, audio is continuing to be a very big thing. I actually traditionally publish my audiobooks with uh, a publisher. Um, but I'm also taking a look at that for my next series and seeing how I might want to change that approach also. It's awesome. I'll, I'll put the bug in your ear because it's my day job, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> uh, a, a great concept and one that I can certainly, we can talk offline about, but uh, selling subscription podcasts. Um, that's mm. primarily what my company does. So you could, you could create your own premium podcast that people have to actually, you know, pay to get access to almost like your audiobook. Um, but it could be anything. It could be an audiobook. It could be whatever behind the scenes stuff, you know, members only stuff. Um, that's a great way to, and I, which I'm sure you've seen before a great way to not only build that, that really, uh, engaged community or membership, but, um, also get us, you know, an additional, uh, income, uh, a revenue stream, uh, selling that audio. Mm, I will be picking your brain about that. <laughs> um, talk to me about being in, in Rhode Island. Is there any help around here <laughs> for you? And uh, is there any advantage or anything that you go to um, that's that's local, whether it's like Providence or Boston, that is uh, beneficial to, to you running the business? Uh, events, marketing, uh, other authors. Is there anything local that is that helps you? Uh, well, I don't want to just it, say no. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, how I, does she survive writing this book in Pink Bean? I, well, I love Pink Bean. I (laughs) would not get anything done without like that corner seat that I take every day. Um, I, well, I love living in this area. Um, when I was writing my first book, I did do like, there is a pretty active kind of artsy writer community in New Bedford. And I did do a little writer group over there 
I was working in New Bedford at the time. Now I don't really find myself in that area quite as often. Um, and I, I would like to kind of get out there more in terms of like, like my books are not available in any local stores or anything like that, mostly because I haven't hit the pavement, you know, doing that. Um, so I would like to leverage the community more and like be, be more a part of it. Yeah. I'm sure the, um, where I, where I have my office, uh, co-creative on union street in new Bedford, um, they're all, I mean, they have so many events there that I'm sure there could be something, um, that they would, you know, certainly slot you into, or, uh, even make the, make the time to, you know, even just have, have, well, I don't even know, how, like, I, this is probably not even the thing, but like a book reading, I don't know, <laughs> like maybe there's a thing <laughs> like that, maybe there's a book reading, uh, that, that they could do, but I'm sure they'd be open to it. And, and New Bedford's certainly a little bit more, uh, on the, uh, advanced side of getting creatives and artists, especially the co-creative. There's a lot of, um, they get involved with a lot of, uh, state grants from mass. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that. I don't know if you would qualify for those types of things, but they definitely do a lot, which is really cool. Um, in terms of social media, Instagram, TikTok, is, is that the top two I'm hearing for you anyway? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Instagram's pretty big for me. Um, I also, that's also kind of like where I put my paid advertising right now. Um, and also Amazon ads. Um, TikTok is huge for authors. It's a really big deal. And I admit when it, everyone first started talking about it, I was a little bit like, yeah, okay, guys, skeptical, yeah. skeptical <laughs> yeah, face. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's, I've seen it firsthand because it's basically the only social media platform where truly organic visibility actually exists still like the only one, um, and exists in a very big way. And I've seen friends have major impact from that. The downside is that it is really time consuming. Like I really struggle to keep up with it. Um, but I'm launching a new series in August and I'm trying an experiment where I'm going to just like stockpile TikTok videos about this series. And then that way, three weeks ahead of release, I'm posting like three times a day and just like see what happens. So check back with me in like September. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about uh, the new series coming out, what's the, what's going to be your, what's the series about if you can, if you can share it and how will you approach that, that marketing? Will you just take little bits of, of the story and, and start to share it out or do you have a different tact? Yeah, well, I'm super excited about this. Um, it's called the Crowns of Nyaxia series. It is a high fantasy vampire fantasy romance series. And the first book is about a human girl who was like raised by the king of the vampires in, in his kingdom. And she is competing in this legendary tournament held by the goddess of death to win the honor of becoming um, a vampire, essentially, like becoming a mortal. Um, and of course, she has to team up with a very dangerous rival in order to win. So... Uh, yeah, I'm trying. So with my first series, uh, the War of Lost Hearts trilogy, which completed in February, um, I had a very non-traditional path to success. I have a very slow burn of success, which means like word of mouth was like really important to me. And I'm really honored that readers connected with my books enough that word of mouth became such a powerful force. Um, but because of that, those books, you know, they never launched into bestseller status or anything. 
I really would like to launch this series into bestseller status. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'm going to invest pretty heavily in TikTok. I'm going to invest pretty heavily in like ad campaigns on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I have several book tours lined up with various social media tour companies. Um, I'll be Is that connecting. like a lit like literally physically touring or virtually touring? Oh yeah, virtually touring. So uh, basically, I try to produce like a really freaking awesome looking hardcover book. Right, I have to try to make sure my books are extremely beautiful, and then these book tour companies um, hook me up with a lot of you know bookstagrammers and book talkers and stuff, and I ship hardcovers to all these people, and they will feature them on their their blogs and review them and stuff like that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I did one of these for the launch of my last book and it was very successful. So, and when you, when you say the, uh, the bestseller status, that's, is that just a sheer numbers game? Uh, how many units sold in a given amount of time and it, it sort of just automatically ranks on, uh, see, I don't know the space. So I was just like automatically ranks on like Amazon tracker and Barnes and Nobles and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. So Amazon has, um, like when people talk about Amazon rank, it's basically your sales rank compared to other books. Um, and if you look at any ebook on Amazon and you scroll down to like the details section where it has the ISBN and stuff, you can see that book's sales rank. And if you're an author, you have a pretty good idea of kind of like what sales numbers equals what rank. So you can kind of look at any book and kind of know roughly how well it's selling. I actually did... Uh, Daughter of No Worlds was a bestseller about a month ago um, nice. for the first time ever um, nice. because I of a campaign I had going at the time. So that was very exciting. <laughs> but I would like to replicate it from day one on this next yeah. one. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, final question here, or one of the final questions. Uh, I think when we first spoke at Pink Bean, I think you said you had uh, developed websites before um, and maybe even in your early days before you joined uh, sort of a day job, maybe you were freelancing, creating websites or creating illustrations and stuff like that. And I think back to sort of my days of trying to uh, run a digital agency and you're doing all the things, right? You are, mm -hmm. you're making the websites, <laughs> you are shipping the websites, you're updating the websites, you're doing the sales, you're doing the marketing. How do you find a balance? Uh, and do you have anyone that that helps you with marketing or other areas of the business because it's like, do you spend 60% of the time writing the book, 40% of the time running the business and doing social media and everything else you have to do? What's your ratio of like work to more work, uh, as a, as a self-published author? Oof. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a, this is a tough question because, um, it's a problem for me <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, I have a problem for, ev for everyone. <laughs> so yeah, seriously. Right. I know. Um, I do find myself being like, when I left my day job, um, I worked at Microsoft and it was like a, it was a wonderful place to work, but very demanding. So I, when I left, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have so much time. Like I'm never going to have a problem having enough time to do things. That was a lie, flat out yeah. lie. I never have enough time. Um, I have a PA, but I'm really bad at remembering to give her stuff to do. Yeah. So I just end up doing it all myself. I would say right now it's probably like a 80-20 split. I should be spending more time 
on things like ad management. Like there's a million kind of marketing business admin things I really should be doing um, mm. that I'm not putting enough time into. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge for, it's a challenge for everyone. Um, yeah. I mean, even myself, I have a day job. I have three personal podcasts that I run that are, well, this is the third one, but this one doesn't make any money. I have two others that make, <laughs> that do make me money. And this one's just a, a labor of love, but, um, yeah, it, it's, I keep telling myself like going into 2022. Yeah. That's the year that we're in. We're going into 2022. I was thinking, I'm going to get somebody, you know, like a, like a PA or VA, um, virtual assistant to help me with these things. And it's just like, here I am May fifth month into the year. And I still, I'm like, I still got to get me one of those because every, every time I go to publish a podcast, I'm like, God, there's a lot of work here and I Mm -hmm. should be shipping off the stuff that I'm too busy to do to somebody else. And yeah, it's, you're not alone in that fight for sure. Yeah. I think it's kind of the universal challenge, right? For like every, well, probably literally every person. <laughs> yeah, running their own business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you work from home. Oh, you work at a coffee shop. It's so easy, so fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. right. I mean, it is. It is legitimately. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Chris of Broadbent, thanks for hanging out today and talking to us about what you're up to. Um, it sounds, I mean, it's just, it sounds awesome. Uh, excited for all of the success you've had in coming up. Uh, where do you want folks to go to say thanks? Any other landing pages or websites or what can they expect next from you? Um, so if anyone ever wants to get in touch, probably the easiest way to do that might be my Instagram, which is Carissa Broadbent Books. Um, and you can also find me on you know pretty much every other social media under that name uh, or on my website, which you mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast. I'm not hard to find. So if you go to carissabroadbentbooks.com, scroll to the bottom, join the email list. That's where you'll email people for the upcoming series, right? Yeah. I ramble at people all the time. It's very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome stuff. Everybody else, it's the We Are Here podcast only on southcoast.fm. Head to southcoast.fm. Subscribe there and join our mailing list. Be the first to know when the new episodes drop. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.